Hello, everybody. Turn this up in my headphones, Charles. Turning it up. Hello, 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 everybody, one and all. Welcome to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, but not just any fantasy today, because today we are talking about the great works of Joe Abercrombie. This is the continuation of our like character series for Abercrombie. You may have heard us talk about Logan Nine Fingers. You may have heard us talking about Baez. And today we are talking about another crowd favorite POV character, San Dan Galacta. You are correct, Charles. And Say one thing for the FTF podcast. Oh, wait, not doing Logan. (laughs) Instead, we're going to start asking the question of why does Glockta do this? And if we're going to really dive into the deep depths of that question with a character who has a whole lot of depth himself, then we want to be able to do that in a way free for us to talk about all three of the books in the first law trilogy so this is a good time if you haven't yet read uh, through last argument of kings uh, the first three books of the first law trilogy then turn this down in your headphones right now and go check out those awesome books because they're some of our absolute favorites yes give the first law trilogy a read we're going to be doing a lot more of this kind of content in the future so if you haven't read it check it out come back listen to this episode and be on the lookout for more first law discussions in the very near future but today is all about glock to dylan and i'm excited to get into him um Uh, You had said in an earlier episode, I'm going to quote you because I thought what you said was brilliant when you said that Clock, and I'm going to paraphrase here, Glockta is the character that perhaps is most aware of the series that he's in. And I think that's a huge part of why he's become like one of the most popular fan favorites in the series. Right. I even grabbed a quote from glockta prose here Mm -hmm. where (laughs) he reflects that uh, and i quote i did a good thing and so of course there is a price to be paid (laughs) and (laughs) that feels very we've said about jarber crombie's work that no good deed goes unpunished and uh, that definitely feels like it it often rings true in the first law trilogy and Glockta seems to be noticing this pattern. He's a very clever character and he picks up on when things keep happening in a certain way. And this is something that, like you said, I think makes him a fan favorite in a lot of ways, despite clearly, you know, (laughs) if you got to know Glockta in real life, I doubt you'd really want to be friends with him. He's a torturer. He has a lot of, 
really messed up things that he does. But in some ways, it seems like that might be guided by his awareness of the kind of story that he's in where good deeds are not rewarded, in fact, (laughs) often punished. So I think that that's a good way to maybe start framing our conversation about, well, why does Glockta do this? In part, maybe it comes from that awareness of the kind of book that he's in. But we'll get into that with more depth as we keep going through this novel. That's very well said. uh, Sorry, this 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 character character profile about this trilogy and this character. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I I, I understood. And that's a great lens to look at it. The other lens is... Like when Glock is asking why does he do this, it's like this idea of he does these horrible things and he doesn't necessarily like he acknowledges he's a horrible person, but he's also got these moments of likability and redemption around him. There's a quote that I pulled that I think is the second lens that we should be looking at Glock this character, which is every man has his excuses and the more vile the man becomes, the more touching the story has to be. What is my story now? I wonder. And that is something from a man who's contemplating how moral he is and if he's good or bad or why he does the things he does. That's a great lens to kind of look at some of these early actions starting with his actions in the blade itself right and if we're if we're going to start banging on that uh, drum of this lens here charles about having reasons i think that uh, i'll i'll probably add another quote and then we'll get into oh, this yeah. discussion like uh, the quotes are the best so right always feel uh, free to let one loose <laughs> yes and this is the one that i feel if if there is a I've said before, I don't think that Joe Abercrombie would say that there's much of a thesis to <laughs> the arcs in First Law. I think he definitely explores beyond like themes people are them. horrible. <laughs> but well, but yeah, I as a graduate student start thinking about theses, uh, and I'll say that one that struck me for Glockta and what his arc and a lot of the arcs, honestly, in First Law are about is is this quote. Each time we have reasons, and it goes on to say, what else can we do but solve one sordid problem at a time? Then one day we look up and find that we are this. And I think that that is a big part of how Glockta ends up who he is. It's just kind of like he's faced with all of these really difficult problems throughout the First Lost series with pretty much only wrong answers and (laughs) you know when you have a bunch of wrong and when i say wrong i mean morally wrong right Mm -hmm. there's a uh, almost this counterbalance where the right answer the logical answer uh maybe even the realistic answer although once again not talking about logan is (laughs) the morally wrong answer and what we get from Glockta probably more than any character is a really thoughtful exploration of how to try to balance when all the correct answers logically are morally incorrect and Mm -hmm. I, I I think that's in part a big reason why people love Glockta is like while Logan you know we've talked about how he's a more like personable seeming person, but also he's just constantly rationalizing and justifying all these like morally wrong decisions. Glockta 
seems to be trying. He's just got this logic to him and this understanding of the story he's in that makes it difficult for him to really make the like morally just choice. But he does try. He does try, Charles. He does try. And, you know, I think we're going to come back to that quote of like, and, you know, he tries and he pays for it <laughs> more right. often than not. But the first kind of action that we see him um the first situation that he's in is when he's interrogating Salem Ruse. And I always thought this introduction to Glockta was so interesting because we meet him and already he's kind of detached and looking at it with kind of a humorous angle and kind of a, you know, funny angle. He's lamenting about stairs and how they're his biggest enemy. And then he's like, interesting how people change once you start torturing them. You know, like he's having all these musings to himself while he's torturing someone that he knew in his previous life as a soldier, Salem Ruse, his friend. And it the fact that this is a guy who is kind of funny and interesting, but at the same time actively torturing someone he once considered a friend. It's very much a great way to kick off the character of Glockta. It's very Glockta-esque. <laughs> yeah, and we do learn through this, uh, you know, this start for Glockta's arc is torturing a person who will eventually come back around and and meet Glockta again right. and we'll I guess we'll get to what that means about why Glockta does well, this I mean we, we can spoil we... it I mean it's interesting to see Salem Ruse return at the end uh, right like, um Glockta's uh arc coming full circle almost where he was right. torturing Ruse and then now by the end he's teaching Ruse how to torture others you know, it's very interesting to see that go around. Yes. So right here in the blade itself, we are kind of maybe we're asking these questions already from Glockta of why do I do this? And maybe our, ourselves, it's hard for us to really put ourselves in the place of a torturer and understand why they do this. And the way that Abercrombie so masterfully characterizes Glockta as someone that we somehow can start to understand is that he doesn't know himself. He doesn't know why he does it. So we're like, why would you do this? And he's like, why do I do this? He's like, I don't know, <laughs> because it's what I'm good at. And um, th that question comes up over and over again, where it's like, you were tortured so horribly. How could you turn around and become a torturer? You know, that's the other thing of like violence begets more violence. And he's like, well, I'm not prepared for like anything else. This is it for me. And that is another huge theme throughout the series. And it, part of Glockta's kind of identity struggle, I guess. Yeah, that's well said, Charles. Definitely something that he's grappling with throughout this series is that identity struggle. Right. So we get a few more moments in the blade itself. It's kind of quiet with Glockta. He's investigating the Guild of Mercers. And that's when he learns about the bang for the first time. But he doesn't really think about it that much. Um we have the break-in and explosion in the Magus's chamber when Baez um, returns and he's staying in the in the tower and it explodes and Glockta's investigating. And that's when we get this meeting with Glockta and Baez and Glockta's doing this interrogation. And it's very funny to see 
like we're so used to Logan and Baez and their point of view and Glockta and his point of view. And this is the first time we're getting their perspectives of each other, right? Seeing Logan removed, like in the third person, watching him react to stuff was very funny. Glockta thinks like, oh, these guys are obviously con artists. <laughs> They're obviously up to something and I'm going to figure it out. You know, it's very entertaining, um, but doesn't speak too much to Glockta's character, I don't think. Just that he's, I think, skeptical at all times. Well, yeah. And here's another piece that I thought always brought depth to Glockta's questioning Mm -hmm. in the blade itself is we get that moment with Glockta and West. And I I think I did chat about this some in our blade itself episode, Mm -hmm. but Glockta, it's like after he was hauled up after getting so brutally injured and he can't uh, leave his uh, like he's staying with his mother at that point this is all backstory stuff right. uh, um, he was hoping that someone would come visit him and thought probably the most likely person would be Colum West and I think that it's really interesting that in the like present storyline in the blade itself the one thing that Glockta does not seem to question is why West never showed up to visit him. Right. And West actually did show up to visit Glockta and was turned away by Glockta's mother, who did not like that West was a commoner and was affiliating with uh, Glockta. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's interesting because like that played out in a very logical way that you'd expect Glock to be able to kind of figure out is like, well, I know my mother, I know West's background. I'm a pretty logical and clever dude, but he doesn't even think at any yeah. point to question that like understanding that, Oh, well, of course no one would want to come visit me because I'm so pitiful and oh, people only liked me when I was this like great renowned uh amazing swordsman who won the contest and i think glockta questions almost everything except that he at his base is like a bad person and it's and like a bad and undesirable person and i think that that brings this extra layer of of sympathy that we can feel for Glockta and humanity that we can notice in him. Yeah, that's very well said. You basically just described his arc for the blade itself, right? It starts with him making all these deductions and investigating the Guild of Mercers and going toe-to-toe with Baez in an investigation setting. And he's always skeptical, never fully believing what he sees, questioning everything. It's his job to be an inquisitor, right? And, like what's the one thing that he always took for granted and never bothered to investigate was why no one visited him, why no one was friends with him. And he never stopped to solve, like you said, this very obvious puzzle of my mom probably turned him away. I should maybe go talk to him. Right. You know, like touch base every once in a while. But Glockta is so like um, self deprecating in a lot of ways. And um, he's also still the victim of, like all this traumatic torturing and then he like kind of killed his past life basically and has embraced this new identity of someone who is a torturer and i torture people Mm. and i don't have friends you know he's so bought into that charles you had me thinking that we've talked a lot 
about this idea that Glockt is the most aware of the novel that he's in. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to realize that Glockta might be the only character in this series, or at least like point of view character, that has frequent moments of being pleasantly surprised by the way that events play out in reality for him. And yeah. this is one of those first times where it's like Glockta is so cynical and so aware he's in this like grim, dark feeling setting that the fact that West actually did come to visit him is like, oh, what a pleasant surprise <laughs> that that was actually the case. I underestimated uh like, I thought things right. were worse than they actually are. And we get lots of these other moments. Like, I'm thinking about when Pharaoh almost kills him and then decides not to kill him. Or how about when he marries and Artie, you know? She marries says, Artie. Yes. <laughs> it's like, he's so aware that, like, this is the most, like, horrible thing and she'd never want to be with me. And if she does say yes to this, it's just because it's the only way that she could survive. And she says yes and, like, is actually way more invested in the marriage and him as a person than he ever dared to imagine. Right. And you kind of, I, I, I'm interested as we keep moving through this to see... Uh, like how frequently Glockta ends up actually like pleasantly surprised that somehow in Joe Abercrombie's grim dark <laughs> world he gets these moments that he's so cynical Glockta that <laughs> even Joe Abercrombie's work is better like more <laughs> pleasant than he would expect. Yeah, I mean when you when you accept everything about being in an Abercrombie world, all the good things would seem kind of surprising. Right. And Glockta's kind of embraced all these unpleasant things about himself and his actions and the world that you're right. Anything that is good is kind of interesting and exciting and surprising for, for Glockta. Um, mm. there's yeah. Some other and for us as open. readers. Yeah. And for us. So as again, readers. it's a way in which he, he mirrors us as readers and probably contributes to why he's such a favorite character. Well said. And uh, there's a go back to Blade itself. There's a few other things. We've got, you know, the contest. And even though Glockta doesn't believe in magic, he's like, I know it's not possible for Bias to have cheated in the contest, but I'm still suspecting that he is, you know? So that was kind of a fun thing. Like, he's questioning that. He's questioning that magic might be real because I think he's cheating versus questioning anything about himself, about why he's not friends with Wes, you know? And then he sees the house of the maker and he's kind of shocked to realize that magic is might be real and Baez might be the real deal and then we've talked about the Glockta and Wes being best friends again kind of realization which was a really fun interesting twist like Abercrombie weaves in such surprising twists and payoffs that you're not really expecting or necessarily asking for but constantly delivers and and this is one of them and i think the like salem ruse reveal at the end is another one where you're like hey i wasn't expecting this but this is nice you know i'm down and that's kind of how i felt about the glock to west thing where it's like you know what there may be some redeeming aspects of glock to after all and that is what gets tested in our next book here before they are hanged great seg thank you would you like to kick us off buddy sure well before they are hanged is a i would say the most glockta central book Mm. that uh that we get in the first law trilogy and it pretty much begins with glockta arriving at Degaska, and he's been put in this situation where he is the voice of the crown in this uh, city that is going to be 
under siege. And it gives Glockta the opportunity to, rather than being kind of like this puppet on a string that he often is when he's closer to Archlector Salt, who is in charge of the Inquisition, it gives Glockta some free reign to not be micromanaged. And we get to really see his ability to engage in this politicking and his gift for... Uh, for handling all of that. We also get to really focus on his relationships with a bunch of other characters. And uh, he he makes a lot of efforts here, I think, to, to be a better person throughout before they're hanged. I, I think he really shines in this novel. I agree. You get the, he gets a real moment to kind of flex his, like, deduction skills and his plotting and his scheming and his knowledge of navigating politics and um you know it's it's just a fun story there's this mystery element to it of like what happened to the last um uh, inquisitor here or or something what i forget the title of it but what happened to the last Um, superior superior thank you and they don't know so they're investigating, and there's this impending doom of a Gurkish invasion, and Glockta's kind of getting everyone prepared. And here's what's interesting about Glockta, because yes, he's he indiscriminately will torture anybody, including former friends, but he's also willing to work with and help people. Like, the Union is so bogged down in, like, bigotry and classism and things like that and glockta raised in all of this even in a noble house has is like sees through all of it and he's willing to be like we need to pay the common people and the native people and get them working and i'm willing to give you the representative of the native people like more power and access if you support me whereas other superiors or other people in the union wouldn't even look twice at native people. So it's really interesting to see Glockta kind of make these concessions and see everyone as equal, but he also thinks very low of all people at the same time. So it's a really interesting combination for Glockta in these moments. For sure. And one of the thir- first things that Glockta does when he gets there is see the ways in which Harker, who was an inquisitor, I believe, uh-huh. uh, who was kind of in charge of things in the absence of this missing superior, uh, had been engaging in just this brutal impractical uh, <laughs> and I, I at first didn't mean that as a, a pun um, because, you know, practicals, but a very impractical way of trying to gain information from people that is unnecessarily violent and almost reveling in the violence of torturing people especially these uh, poor like beleaguered in a lot of ways uh, like native Dagoskins and one of the folks that seems to be a native Dagoskin that is being tortured is Shickle we later learn Shickle's an eater and all these kind of things play out with that but Glockta is someone who never revels in torture for torture's sake. Mm-hmm. He never enjoys causing people pain unnecessarily. And he is absolutely infuriated by what he sees that Harker has done in Degaska. And he basically subjects Harker to 
pretty bad point. I can't remember if he kills Harker or not, but at least like. It, I don't think he prisons. kills him, but he might at least prisons. lock him up or yeah. imprison him. I don't remember, but he definitely right. is fired and removed from office and all these other yeah, things. Perhaps tortured. And he releases Shickle is another big yeah. thing. And with, he, even when looks... he's doing it sometimes, like maybe not in the case with Shickle, but with other characters that he's helping out, um, he often even acknowledges that it might is not be the most practical idea where it's like, oh, well, you know, this might be an issue, but, like, why? Like, he's asking himself, why do I do this? Like, usually it's why does he just torture people, but now it's why is he saving people? You know, right. he's asking the same question, different context. And in this case, it's like, why am I saving these people? Sometimes he goes as far as to be like, Sandan Glockta, shield to the helpless, which he's being very sarcastic. And he's like, is it ever too late to be dot, dot, dot? A good man, you know, like he dares thinks that of him himself. And saving Shickles, the beginning of one of the themes in Glockta's arc in this book of like this good deed going uh, unpunished idea, you know, or it's like the irony here is that this guy that he deposed actually had the right idea of keeping Shickle locked up because she was the eater, you know, so it's very funny to see that play out. Yeah. It's funny in like an ironic, twisted way. <laughs> as Abercrombie's yes. work often is. Yes. So we, yeah, we get the flip side of the coin of why do I do this, which is uh, why does Galacta choose to release Shickle, who seems to be this like poor, tortured girl, when he knows that like pretty much in his experience, no good deed has ever really gone unpunished. And he does it anyway. So why on that side of the coin? Because I do think deep down beneath it all, Glockto does want to be a good person. Uh, so why does he do the good things? Because he's trying, because he wants to be a good person, even though many, many times he falls well short of that. And why does he do these bad things? We'll continue to explore it, but I think oftentimes it's because he feels like he has to. He has no other options if he wants to make his way in this messed up world around him yes that is incredibly well said and that's also you know we know that he is wheeling and dealing in Degasca and he makes deals with Valen and Bach to take a loan for the defenses he also recruits Nicomokaska famed soldier of fortune <laughs> and you know those are all great scenes as well he's like he understands the risks that he's taking, but he's not, he's never really concerned about his own self preservation. He's always like, oh, body found floating by the docks. Like, here I go, putting myself in in harm's way again. Here I go, taking this incredible risk, making a deal with this shady bank. It might haunt me later, but, you know, I got to do what's practical for right now. And Nailed it. that's, thank you. That's, um, that's just part of, Galacta's character it's actually served him quite well this idea of like not always kind of embracing his demise and he always kind of realizing like oh this might be the the deal that seals my fate kind of you know for sure yeah and a big thing with Glockta, he is so willing to accept uh, death if it should come to him uh, and almost views it with this 
what what we like to say like with uh, it's this detached curiosity yeah. uh, that he views most things with right and the one thing another why does he do this was his motivation if he doesn't even care about surviving yes. i'm paraphrasing here but there's a there's a moment where he's basically like i don't care about dying but i refuse to lose <laughs> yes and, and he's always super curious as yes. well he always wants to know why he wants so to know you think someone who like doesn't care if they live or die like why would they be so invested in politics and things like that it's because he can't help himself he has an inquisitive mind and he needs mm -hmm. to know and he also just likes the game like you said he doesn't like losing and that services him quite a bit um, but he surprises himself sometimes, as we know, when he um, he saves Vitari, right? The head of the Spice Guild or, or something like that in in oh, the Gaska. No. Well, he does save Vitari as, as well, but Vitari's oh, the practical. The impractical. I, yeah. I got them confused. So she he saves her eventually. Eider is who you're Eider, thinking of. Yeah, and Eider. Thank you very much. Guild of so, Spicers. So he saves Eider. First, and then also saves Vitari. So he's in these moments, like the city of Degasca is being sieged, and he uncovers all these political schemes. And when he talks to Eider, is the most interesting one because he's, you know, asking why. That's a question he always likes to get the answer to. And she has pretty noble motives. She's like, look, if you think about it from a detached point of view, like, this land holds no value to anyone but the Gurkish. I was going to make a deal to have a peaceful transition where no one has to die, and it's the same result. And Glock is like, oh, that's a noble motive. That's a good idea. But, right. you know, I'm a practical, and this is what I do. And I'm going to— Well, superior. I'm a superior, and this is what I do. I'm just going to keep doing it. Um, yeah. Which is another right. interesting piece of Glock's character. Like, sometimes he'll follow orders— and, um, you know, do these horrible things, even when they're not necessarily the most correct or noble because he's playing the politics game as as well. Correct, I believe, Charles and my <laughs> my good man. And Thank I think you, that sir. the <laughs> I think that the thing here, it's another moment for Glockta that reinforces this no good good deed goes unpunished bit for him is like he's searching constantly for like who is this traitor this dark person who's trying to uh, have the city turned over to the Gurkish no doubt for these awful motives of getting rich or what have you and he finally gets to the solution and he is probably unsurprised really in the end to find out that the person who is the traitor is the person with probably the most noble motives of anyone yeah. he's interacted with along the way in yes. Carlotte Den Eider. It's like she confesses everything and it's like, wait, you were like legitimately trying to do what was best for everyone. Right. And of course, you know, Glock does like, well, no wonder you're here getting like potentially tortured by me. Because that doesn't work out for anyone well, but because he's someone that cares so much about like trying to do right, even if he wouldn't in Eider's shoes have gone to this length, right. he does want to eke out that little victory for good. And and I'll I'll return to this later when we get to 
toward the end of last argument of kings is Galacta is why does he do this why does he do things like letting Eider go because for Galacta the good comes in these little victories that you can eke out in this really grim dark world oh, around. that's well said yeah it's it certainly is and it's interesting how they all pay off you know glock is kind of learning lessons in this book that he later employs in last argument of kings so it's interesting to kind of track all these teachable moments for glock like he released shickle which ended up not working out for him he right almost kills him almost kills him he releases carla den eider which almost kills him again and then he saves Vitari as well, which kind of not nearly as consequential as the other two, but also interesting. And then he also saves Artie. So in this book, he's doing a lot of like decent deeds throughout, but ultimately leaving Dagaska to its fate and, you know, ultimately um, facing negative, like almost getting killed in the case of Shickle, and then long-term, Ider returns and tries to blackmail him and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and so he's like, oh, of course, of course. But he does do in a decent amount of, of good deeds in this book. Right. And it's very Glockta where, like, you can save Carlot Den Ider, the one person who had these super noble motives, and you might just get away with that, but you're not going to save the city. This is a Joe Abercrombie novel, and things <laughs> are going to end in a way that big picture was not... Uh, not a lot of good was done in Degaska, but Glockta eked out actually what he could, and I think Before They're Hanged is a book that sticks out to me as like Glockta's really his biggest efforts toward being a good person yes. take place in Before They're Hanged. And, yes. and in classic Abercrombie fashion, things start to move more toward this like full circle. Like You have to acknowledge that you can't be constantly doing like trying to do good or it's going to come back to bite you as we move toward Last Argument of Kings. That is very well said, Dylan. So let's go ahead and do that. Let's move on to Last Argument of Kings. You know, at the end of Before They're Hanged, Crown Prince Reynald is found brutally murdered in the palace. Um, oh, that's something that is kind of worth talking about where, um, you know, Glockta has dealt with Gurkish ambassadors before, and the one that, like, is in the city um, when Prince Reynald is murdered, um, you know, uh, what's his face? Uh, Salt orders Glockta to torture the Gurkish ambassador. And Glockta knows that this guy is a, is a chill dude and really nice, and they could actually work towards some sort of armistice. Like, he had the way out of, like, we'll give you this chest, and you can say whatever you want was in it, you know, and end the war, which is basically what Eider was working towards in Degaska. And Glockta's like, oh, sorry, um, why do I do this? Well, I don't know. And he tortures the Gurkish ambassador and, and just causes the war of last argument of kings to play out i just thought that was an interesting one to bring up before we moved on just because it's another one of glockta's interesting decisions yeah and let's talk a little bit more about why does he do it when it comes to torturing that uh, ambassador because you know who's looking through a peephole and watching the torture take place during that is archlector salt so why does glockta do that he what other choice does he have? Right. He could try to stand up for morality and walk out the room and say, I'm not doing this. And Archlector Salt will just send in someone else to do it. Yes. And 
I think that that's when Glockta when Glockta is going to do these really horrific, gruesome things is when he looks around and feels this helplessness of if it's not me, then it'll just be someone else. And, or if it, if I don't do this, then things could even get worse or what have you. So he has this like inevitability. He like understands the inevitable and is willing to embrace it. Even if it's doing something horrible, like torturing an innocent person and kicking off a, huge siege of a war where tons of people are going to die. It's like, it's inevitable and I'm okay with being a part of it because I understand that it's what needs to happen. It's just the reality of politics and of intrigue and everything else. Yeah. And there are more noble characters that would have stood up for morality there. And I wouldn't have gotten them far probably. No, (laughs) I mean, best case scenario, they walk out that room and our collector salt doesn't, severely punish them uh and they just move on with their lives and nothing big picture changes no, everyone uh, wants about, this war to happen right like Baez, so, salt they're all like let's let's go yeah and of course like we don't want to um c- condone what glockta does here what he does no. is terrible and the right thing to do would be to try to walk out that room and, and not do it and try to stop it but glockta you know end of the day oftentimes does not make the morally correct decision. He makes the more, as we've said, practical uh, right. d- decision. And speaking of um, morally compromised decisions here, we've got the opening to last argument of Kings where Glockta is bribing and threatening his way to votes for Archlector's candidate for King, which gets turned towards this almost like this democracy voting idea of like all of the noble houses vote for who is going to be the next king. And it becomes basically this like race to see who can like bribe the most votes. Right. So that's kind of how this kicks off. And it's kind of a fun, like reminder that this is the world you're living in. Right. It's morally compromised. It's, it's squabbling amongst everyone. This is the world in which Glockta is kind of um, trying to survive in. Yes, and, you know, in this moment of democracy, well, not really, but this moment of voting anyway, uh, things have been turned over to the wisdom of crowds, uh, and we know, and Joe Joe Abercrombie, I would say, doesn't have a lot of faith, at least in the way he portrays it in in Last Argument of Kings, that the wisdom of crowds would go so smoothly here. It's a lot of bribing, it's a lot of really nefarious deeds uh, taking place, blackmailing and things like that. And Glockta, you know, a lot of times he ends up in these situations where forces so much bigger than him are, are making him do these things. And that's that's a big part of what's happening in Last Argument. For sure. We're also reminded of this whole glockta Jazal already triangle situation relationship that's happening here where glockta is coming to Artie's defense concerned for her well-being so we get the just the juxtaposition of glockta bribing votes and then he goes off and he's trying to protect the virtue of Artie at the same time right so it's interesting to see those things happening side by side this is so glockta to a t of like yeah overall i'm like in the middle of some really deep political intrigue that's going to got a lot of people to get killed. Um, but, and it's always often morally compromised, but 
don't mess with my friend, Chazal. Like, back off <laughs> at the same mm. time. So very interesting yep. to see that play out. Exactly. Trying to eke out a little bit of good by seeing if he can hold to his word and protect Artie in some way because he did promise West that he'd try. And he does definitely take a liking to Artie. You can see that those interactions play out in a way where, I, I mean... They're they're a great fit, I guess. Yes. Like just a great pairing, those two, oh, two misfits in this society that kind of are, I wouldn't say forced together, but like in this situation where it's kind of like just the two of them, and they it makes sense for them to interact a lot, and they're both willing to look past some of these more surface level things about the other person that's making them a misfit and get to the root of who the other person is. And right. They're also I both really are, smart and right. can have like, they have really good banter and they're both yeah. kind of self-deprecating and this, they have like, they both have this very unique sense of humor about themselves. So I, they are great. They're a very interesting fit. And <laughs> even this deep in, right. Where it's like in the reread, you can see it happening, but very much like Glockta and Wes, like at least for my first read through anyway, I never even imagined the possibility that Glockta would get married and get married to Artie, you know? Right. It's, it's something that when it happens, you're like, of course. But the whole time it's being developed, it's not even on your radar. And that's just because we're bought into this kind of person that Glockta is like incapable of something as pleasant as a marriage. <laughs> Right. I know for me too, I was so bought into the Giselle and Artie relationship and what was going on there on my first read and so used to how fancy stories would typically pair those two off just but you know they Giselle and Artie have this kind of will they won't they thing going on throughout and we're waiting for Giselle to have this like character development moment where he finally figures out that like Artie is quote unquote the one and they're going to end up together. And he kind of has that, but unfortunately it was like <laughs> at the beginning of the last book or right. uh, rather than at the end of the last book. And <laughs> in classic Abercrombie fashion, he reverts just all back to like not being able to act on uh, any of those realizations he may or may not have truly had. Yeah. And I, w- I was so like stuck in that kind of mindset with it of like oh how are how are Giselle and Artie going to end up together that I never considered uh really Glockta and Artie as a possible pairing on the first read but then when you reread this like you were saying Charles it seems so clear that it's like well this is what Abercrombie was building all along these two makes total sense Artie and Glockta do yeah no it's really well constructed and the scene at the end where he's proposing to her is is so good as well like he describes it as like he's about to do this horrible thing to her like you think he's gonna murder her with a dagger right where he's like i gripped the cold steel she has no idea what's about to happen <laughs> and then it's right he's like will you marry me <laughs> and she's like yes i will and he's shocked and that's such a fun fun moment that we'll talk a little bit more i want to talk about that more because what's interesting is in the beginning we get this juxtaposition of bribing votes and like glockta confronting Giselle for the sake of Artie, and then at the end you get that marriage proposal juxtaposed with um glockta threatening the countess uh therese um which is 
another super horrible thing, perhaps one of the most horrible things Glockta does. Yes. Um, uh, just on a psychological level is absolutely horrible. So, like, these two things being juxtaposed is just Glockta's character. This is the world that he lives in, these horrible atrocities juxtaposed with his small victories, his personal victories, and he's trying to, you know, make his small, happy connections, but he's involved in these horrible forces. And the juxtaposition of the two throughout this book was super interesting. And I'm glad that we get to in this, why does Glock to do this kind of talk about it a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, the way that he coerces uh, Queen Therese in this series, I think it's, for me, it's the hardest thing to read of anything that Glockta does the whole time. And Glockta does some really messed up things. I mean, torture scenes that are written in full detail. But this one's, this one's always the hardest for me to get through. And I think it is this reminder at the end of Last Argument Kings for all the good things that Glockta has really tried to do do throughout this series like this is the world he lives in and he is not someone who has the moral fortitude to stick up for doing the right thing in these more big picture situations he's much more about the like well maybe i can eke out a little bit of like good here but he's who he is he's a torturer he's a bad dude in a lot of ways and this is one of his worst atrocities right and it's something where like the solution could be so simple of like oh if only Giselle and Artie had stayed together or if only like you know like things could be like they shouldn't be married but no they, they forced the situation to be to fit the political narrative and um it leads to these like almost seemingly senseless kind of acts of cruelty on Galactus part but he takes them in stride and it's just part of the job that he has to do and it's you know despicable but it's it's a central part to Galactus character and I think Abercrombie's making sure we don't forget that yes. at the end here because there's so many good things that have happened like Glockta had this exciting action piece and he was got redemption and he you know He's doing all these other things. He's engaged to P-Protects Artie. And there's like, oh, don't forget, he's still in this role. And he's basically the um, he's the puppet ruler for Baez. And Baez, we know all about Baez. So, like, don't forget these things that he's capable of of doing in these moments. So, absolutely, exactly. that's, a, that's a great moment. Um, right before this, one moment that I really want to make sure that we talk about is like while the Gurkish siege is going on, um, you know, Glockus between a rock and a high place, <laughs> the high place being a salt's office, um, and and the and the rock being Valent and Balk, right? So he's trying to find his third suitor, which is what Artie advised him to do, and um that's third suitors basically like get your house in order and then maybe I can do something. And in his attempts to get his house in order, he discovers two things that Severod is betrayed him. And then also Frost has betrayed him. And right. like Severod, we may not be too surprised about, but 
Galacta was, I think, most hurt by Frost, and he asks Frost why. And, like, he's he's asking, why did you do this? Which is interesting. And Frost has the same reaction Glockta often does, which is the shrug. Like, I'm doing these things the same reason you are. You know, the shrug. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I imagine that Frost was just feeling in the same kind of place as Glockta, like you're saying, Charles. Like, this is what made sense when people much more powerful than me were pulling my strings and it's it's not personal just like it's never personal for glockta really it's mm-hmm. just the what you have to do at times if you're going to stay alive and interesting to it, see glockta on the victim side of it you know we were, he's so constantly musing why do i do this to others but now he's asking why did you do this to me you know and that's with with right. frost who we've grown up with the all these books you know all this time with frost he's uh he's a um cornerstone of Glockta's like he doesn't have like a lot of family or friends or all that but he always kind of trusted in Frost and so that was I think a, a really big betrayal for him yeah and I think to to st- stick further to like what happens to Glockta and then how he chooses to enact that onto other people I think a, a key scene for Glockta and the way that he relates to his practicals happens in a way, and this is in Last Argument, in a chapter called Prepared for the Worst, <laughs> where Glockta is basically treated absolutely horribly by Salt, where like uh, Salt tells him to get something done and he just launches a bunch of vitriolic like slurs at Glockta and treats him like absolute crap while telling him to go take care of tasks for him and then Galacta goes on to do the same thing to uh, Severard I I believe it is Uh, and he treats Severard in kind of this like very similar manner to how Salt treats Glockta when okay. he's telling him to do things. He's like, uh, if I, this paraphrase is like, oh, like, like Severus, like, how should I do that? And he's like, if I wanted to be telling you how to, like, do everything, then I'd go do it myself, like, figure it out. And that's kind of the same thing that Salt was saying to him, uh, to Glockta, that is. Um, and it's, it's this moment that gives us another little hint into the fact that, like, Glockta sees how he's uh, treated by others who have power over him and he ends up doing that to other people and that's such a a big thing where you can look at someone like Salt who's obviously like navigated at least to this point mm-hmm. the world in a very successful uh, way in terms of surviving and gaining power and those kind of things and Glockta's like I guess this is how it's done and he treats others but he's a little bit less cruel than how Salt does it. And I think that's also a key part of Glockta's character mm-hmm. is uh, like, he's not quite throwing the same slurs or anything. He's not tra- quite treating Severard in the same level of uh, like with the same level of meanness for like a fair way to <laughs> right. phrase it. And, um, and I think that's like, that's Glockta to a T. No, that's really like, well said. I do think this like circle of authority and, and violence is a huge part of, Galactus character arc across all the trilogy and right. I think that's proven with the whole trilogy ends with this like circle completion of Galactus arc there's a quote that I didn't pull but to paraphrase it he's like oh first there first you're 
told to torture, then you teach how to torture, then you instruct the torturing, right? That's kind of like the process that Glockta yep. had mentioned a few times. And Can I, oh, you have, I have a, a quote, which is an internal monologue uh, moment from Glockta in one of the last chapters, which is first it is done to us, then we do it to others, then we order it done. Such yes. is the way of things. Thank you. That's exactly the quote. That's and that, you know, Glockta, we know, was tortured by the Gurkish and became an inquisitor. But now Baez has given him basically control, like ultimate authority in the city. And we, you know, we discover at the end that Pike is Salem Ruse, uh, which goes way right. back to the beginning of the story where Glockta was the one instructed to torture Ruse as part of his investigation of the Guild of Mercer. So we're at that second stage of like, it's done to you, then you do it to others, right? And now we're at this moment where Glock is like, hey, Pike, I or Ruse, I see myself in you. I can give you this far more suitable revenge, right? And that's when he is showing um, practical Pike <laughs> uh, yes. how to... Um, torture in this case it was salt who was in his prison cell so yeah and can i run some drop something by uh, there Please charles do. that i've been thinking about is you know logan has to be realistic about these things mm -hmm. and we end up in this moment where pike at the end through glockta realizes he has to be practical about <laughs> yes. these things right like I, I do wonder that like the the choice of the word practical for that position practical as a synonym basically for like pragmatic or realistic or something like that mm -hmm. i do wonder if that was deliberate by abercrombie to try to drive home this like pike makes the practical choice uh in the end to join up with glockta in the same way that glockta has been making these practical choices all along i mean that it seems to be there um i know you know abercrombie that seems to be his whole thesis in the world of first law of how he views humanity in the first law it's like being practical means you know embracing the harsh realities of of life and being realistic about your relationship with other people and and in, in politics and things like that and it's always this grim dark perspective and you know pike is it's kind of you, you see you see Glockta coming again like this is Glockta in the early stages kind of right this is practical pike is not too different from you know blade itself Glockta and I think that's the whole point of this is that like the cycle continues and and it's interesting to see Glockta embrace that and then to see pike who had the opportunity to kill Glockta and get his revenge in, instead in embrace this why do I do this part of myself like torturer tortured becoming torturer theme um mm -hmm. and that's how the series ends right so it's like okay well there's more to expect from this idea of you know violence inciting more violence and and trying to ask the question why did pike instead of killing glockta agree to work for him and torture salt you know it's 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 the question that is kind of the theme of glockta's whole decision-making process throughout the whole trilogy right and i think this cyclical nature of how these things play out is super important to this question of why does galacta do this into galacta's arc and i'll also say charles to 
as I've been thinking about this wise Glock mm -hmm. to do this question, I've more and more been wanting to try to synthesize this. Why does Glock to do the bad things and why does Glock to do the good things question? I think they're actually, they, they can be kind of brought together. Okay. And I'm thinking he does the bad things cause he has to, right. But he, he really wants to do the good things. And one of the last chapters that we get here, actually right before the, uh, the one that we've been talking about with Pike mm -hmm. is called not what you wanted. And we get this moment where Jazal, who's now been made king, but doesn't really rule the union because bias is behind everything, is asking Glockta, who has a little bit more of the manager role right. in Baez's kingdom than does Jazal. Um, Jazal's asking Glockta, uh, like, maybe we could find a way to create a hospital for people who can't afford surgeons and we can help people. And he's coming up with all these ideas. And Glockta is sort of saying, well, that would be nice, but like that's not really where Baez wants us to go here, and we don't want to upset. Uh, he says, but our mutual friend, we would not wish to disappoint him. <laughs> and I think Giselle knows he doesn't want to disappoint Baez either. But we get this this moment, Charles, I'm going to grab a, a quote from Glockta, which is, perhaps in time, funds could be found for some small project. Our friends cannot see everything after all. And what he does not see will do no harm. I am sure between the two of us, quietly, we could do some little good, but not yet. And That's a I brilliant think that, quote you pulled. Brilliant. Thank you. So we've been talking about it. It all day. Right. And that's why I said, like, I'll get, we'll get back to this uh, when we're talking, I think, about Eider. And I'm like... Here's the thing when it comes to Glockta. Why does he do this? Why does he do all of these terrible things? Because if Glockta were to die, if he were to lose, if he were to go away, then there would be no one to try to eke out those little goods that he does try to find a way to make happen. And if someone like Archlector Salt is in charge, you're not going to get even those tiny moments of hope or glimmers of pro-social action that you get from Glockta. So that's why he does it, I think, Charles, because without him trying to do a little bit of good, there may be no good at all. That's why he does all the bad. Very well said. I'm clapping. That was awesome. And I think you nailed it because it's totally true. Glockta loves to play the game. He loves to win. But, um... He, he understands that there's a game that he plays, but he also tries to work in the good when he can. And if it's not him, it would be somebody that might not be trying to do any of those good moments. Mm -hmm. So we're hopeful for Glockta, even though he's done horrible, like in sometimes irredeemable things. It's like, well, he's mm -hmm. trying to do good as well. And we can only hope for the best for, for good old Glockta. Yeah. I mean, we can definitely hope for the best, and we'll see if we get any more. I know the answer to this, but uh, I'm trying to be spoiler-free for everything beyond the uh, beyond Last Argument of Kings. We'll see if we do get any more of Glockta as we keep moving through the first law 
world and we can see if there's any opportunities to keep this conversation rolling about why Glockta does the things that he does but I'm hopeful or at least to see like the consequences of his actions I've only read these three in one of the standalones so I don't know Mm -hmm. but um, there are opportunities in the standalones and in the Age of Madness that we might be able to see some of the ripple effects of of some of Glockta's actions and, uh, and who knows yeah, tr- well, I know, but <laughs> Dylan, the- <laughs> but I won't say. How about that? <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, this is. Uh, I guess we kind of do this at the end. We do this with Logan too, to some extent. You know, we've been kind of hard on Glockta in some ways, but maybe like more measured than we were on Logan. Logan, we were pretty. Logan, all I think in we had this, to push like- really hard because everyone likes Logan and thinks yeah. he's good. So I think we did feel like we had to compensate for that a little bit by being hard on him but right. i think everyone knows outwardly that glock is a torturer and like he does b- right. bad stuff so i don't think we had to push as bad as and, hard yeah and our message that we like to make sure we leave everyone with here after we call a character a bad person a lot during the <laughs> series or during right. the episode is a reminder that we both think that Glockta is an extremely compelling character, yes. one that we would never have spent the last hour talking in depth about <laughs> right. if we didn't think that he was brilliantly portrayed by Joe Abercrombie, even if he's uh, oftentimes doing a lot of bad deeds, and I think you would definitely make the case as an overall bad person. He yes. is an extremely good character and compelling yes. character to read about and uh, and talk about Charles, especially when I get the opportunity to talk about him oh, with you, you, my lifelong friend. The pleasure is all mine, Dylan. Why do I do this? Because I enjoy talking fantasy with my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. That's why I do this. It's a very short book, not very compelling, but it's true. <laughs> You're saying your book of why you do that? Yeah, I don't get a trilogy of exciting political intrigue and moral dilemmas and things. It's just very simple. Two sentences. Right. You know. Not nearly <laughs> as compelling as the overall First Law trilogy. It's Charles's story of why he does the Friends Talk, his memoir. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Why do I do this? Uh, colon. Uh, <laughs> misadventures in podcasting yeah. on fantasy with Charles. Yes. That is exactly right. And it all comes back to my good buddy Dylan and the great works of authors like Joe Abercrombie. So without any further delay, I think we should get into that sweet, sweet outro music. I think it's time. It's time. Thank you, everyone, for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you want to stay up to date on the further character series we're going to be tossing out about the First Law, if you want to join any discussions, support the show, best place to do that is over on Twitter at the FTF Podcast with a number one at the end. Another great option is Facebook or Instagram at the FTF Podcast. You can always send us an email at the FTF Podcast at gmail.com. And Dylan, if they wanted to support the show even more in a way that was free and super helpful and they just so happened to be listening on apple Podcasts. what can they do toss five stars to our podcast just <laughs> scroll down on that apple <laughs> podcast app on the friends talking fantasy page until you start seeing stars once you're seeing stars uh, the number that would be most helpful for supporting the show would be to click five of them and if you do have some extra time and want to leave a review as well 
that also helps our show so much. But just listening to us talk about Glockta in depth like this, listening to any of our episodes, that is more than enough. Thank you so much. We're super grateful. Thank you all for listening. We are eternally grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, go forth and conquer, friends.